0: Just a heads up, we're going to swear a lot. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, welcome to Please Hate This. I'm Cat. they, them, pronouns. Just me today hosting, but I do have a very special guest. Today, we have with us Sadie Carpenter from the Leaving Eden podcast. Hi, Sadie.
1: Hi, Kat. It's so good to be here today. I'm Sadie. I use she or they pronouns, and I am dude positive, bro positive. <laughs> so you can <laughs> refer to me with those terms. Are, are you dude positive as well?
0: Yes, I'm a dude She's a dude, he's a dude, we're all dudes, hey. I am unless you don't want to be called a dude.
1: I am from the <laughs> West Coast, so when we give pronouns, we will often ask, "Are you dude positive?" because on the West Coast everything is dude. So that's something that I've seen popping up in my social circles, and I think it's super great. So I've been adding that into my my pronoun introductions.
0: Yeah, I like that it's like consensual dudism. Yes. It's not like I'm from the West Coast, so I will call you Dude. So,
1: it's, yeah, it's not that I'm entitled <laughs> to use it for
0: everybody. Dude positive.
1: Yeah, and like I can remember that just as easily as I can remember somebody's pronouns. So I just ask it right up front and then I call everybody Dude. That's okay with being called Dude. 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 Glad to be on your podcast.
0: <laughs> glad to have you. And you're here because today we are going to talk about fundamentalism, fundamentalist Christianity, specifically. What is, like, the actual title of the church that you grew up in? So I
1: grew up in the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. It's not a denomination like Catholic or Methodist. It's more of a loose affiliation of groups that all kind of run together. The most famous Independent Baptists that you probably have heard of are the Duggar family. Mm -hmm. They also ascribe to this extra belief set called the IBLP, but they are also fundamentalist Baptists.
0: Yeah, I noticed, like, a lot of similarities, and also I just have so many questions about, like, the things where I'm like, I think that it's going this way, but, like, I'm not sure. Is it, like, my experience or is it a little different? So I'm, like, really excited to compare and contrast, because I also grew up religious, and it was a little more complicated than just, like, even being part of a loose affiliation, like, I don't know what you would call the people who are evangelized to who don't really find a place to land. Mm-hmm. The masses, uh, basically, the people who are watching church on TV, they're listening to the radio, they're, like, maybe going to one church occasionally or, like, hopping around to different places. If you're a kid, like, you're going to, like, 12 different people's youth groups.
1: Mm-hmm. I I know a lot of people that came up that way and that can lead to a positive kind of cafeteria Christianity where you get mm-hmm. a lot of the good parts and feel free to leave out some of the bad parts, but that can also lead to the exact opposite of that where you pick up toxic and harmful beliefs from multiple places and it gets just mixed in into your own special brand of awful.
0: Yeah, yeah. I Definitely both of those things. One of the... Things that you've talked about on your podcast. So um, also just for background, I found your podcast over the holidays and nobody was posting. So I had time to just like burn through 50 episodes all at one time. So this is weird because I know so much about your life.
1: <laughs> I, this will make you laugh. My number one reaction when anybody tells me that they binge listen through my podcast might my- just gut reaction is i'm so sorry
0: yeah it's like you think like why would anyone want to listen to me talk for 10 hours but like it's interesting i want to listen to you talk for 10 hours
1: (laughs) well i'm proud of my work i really am but there is just like so much trauma in my podcast (laughs) and i just want to ask are you okay (laughs) yeah there were definitely
0: times where Me and my partner were listening to it together and, you know, she's very familiar with, like, all my stuff and we've, like, developed a sense of humor about it. Mm -hmm. So when you said something that, like, felt like you were describing my life, I was like, oh, 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 it's happening again.
1: (laughs) I fully respect, you know, everybody's different coping mechanisms and I don't want to make it out that anybody's coping mechanism should be what mine is, but I very much cope with this stuff through humor And Mm -hmm. I told my co-host a story that is actually so traumatic that I've chosen not to share it on the podcast. But the first time I told him this story, I literally fell off his couch laughing. And he was just sitting there with just a horrified look on his face. And Uh I literally fell off of his couch onto the floor laughing. And so this is, it's just, it's just how I cope with things.
0: Yeah, I- and like, it's almost to my detriment, like sometimes like, I can hear myself making a joke when like, it's definitely not appropriate, but I can't stop myself. So, you know, I think in this context, it really works, you know, there, there are definitely times where it's not appropriate.
1: <laughs> yeah, it works for a lot of us. And I think that's why we need our deconstruction friends who get it and are, are just going to roll with us on that level
0: yeah, like, we're both consenting to have this, like, weird conversation we're about to have about our childhood religious experience.
1: Yeah, I am I am all for conversational consent. I think that goes just a long, such a long way, especially when you're talking about dark topics, and, and you're like, okay, uh, I'm gonna tell you about something terrible from my childhood, and then I'm gonna, like, bust aside laughing about it, okay? Okay, cool, let's go.
0: <laughs> and, you know, as you've mentioned on your podcast, not completely terrible, like, You know, I grew up in a small town, so a lot of your social activity is centered around church and religious activities, whether you consider yourself to be Christian or not. It just is there. It's all woven into everything. And so it's not offensive to, like, invite some... like. I would feel strange if I was going to a church here and I was just like randomly inviting people to my church all the time. But it didn't seem weird then because it was like inviting someone to your house. It's like, oh, I go to this place every Sunday. It's cool. Like because most of my youth groups were very cool. Like we had our own space. One of the churches I went to, we had like it was like a whole house almost just to run around in and like do shit. Yeah,
1: I feel like for me, I was not able to appreciate anything good about my upbringing until I started really confronting the bad. And mm-hmm. when I was ready to confront the bad things, you know, with with sources and with research and with listening to other people and hearing their stories and when I was able like when I was able to say, "Oh, the church I grew up in was extremely racist." That almost freed me up to enjoy the good things and 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 yeah. remember oh well not every memory was totally terrible I think that that balance did a lot of good for me
0: yeah absolutely like I can say the same like you know I don't remember having any like regular attendance of black members at any church that we went to you know maybe like the youth group but not regular services our churches were very like socially segregated and you know when you then spend all your time at church and you feel like that's the best most wholesome place you could be but you're also like never spending any time with anyone who isn't
1: white mm-hmm. like hardly ever <laughs> see my church was fairly integrated for a very conservative baptist church mhm by which i mean we actually we did have people of color who attended and that's, that's about as good as you're going to get for a Baptist church. Uh, but my church, unfortunately, taught the super toxic um, Curse of Ham theology, which is the, the, the idea that one of Noah's sons was cursed because of a sin. And then that son is the ancestor of all black people. And because of that, there's a curse. So this is actually the same theology that was used to justify slavery to slaveholders mm-hmm. in the southern United States and now it's just been repackaged to justify racism and the hatred of certain music styles and things like that.
0: Yeah. I never remember hearing that like from a pulpit, but it was I remember hearing that it like in a youth group setting at one of the churches I went to. So just like to give you an idea Like, when I was younger, we just kind of, like, went occasionally, didn't really have much of a relationship with church, and then starting maybe in, like, the fourth grade until I was in high school, I went to Presbyterian Church with a youth group. I got confirmed in that church, even though my parents weren't members. Like you said, cafeteria Christianity is very strange. You end up with a lot of random customs that don't go together, and... Then at some point in there, my parents were just, like, not getting what they wanted out of the Presbyterian church. It was, like, really somber, like, no clapping, no, like, Mm -hmm. joy. And so we started going to my mom's friend's church, and it was a Baptist church run by a family. And, like, just generally speaking, like, if everyone in a leadership role at a church is a member of the same family, like... (laughs) <laughs> it's it's just, on a base level, even if everyone has good intentions, like, it's just not a good idea.
1: Yeah, I could, I could start naming names and telling stories, but you've informed me mm-hmm. that you do not have until midnight to do this interview.
0: I'll name names. Liberty Road Baptist Church.
1: <laughs> that sounds familiar. Do you know if they're IFB or if they're a different Baptist dom- denomination? I don't know, but I
0: don't think they're IFB, and here's why, like. We had a lot of freedom with what we were allowed to do at church within church activities. Like, to be frank, like, I met almost every boyfriend I ever had at church, and like, we were always like trying to find places to make out. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it was church, but we had a very loose leash. And I don't think that all the adults around us were like that ignorant of everything happening. I think they were just like, Oh, well, it's Christian boys or Christian Mm. girls, so it's okay. Because, like, that's the thing about Southern culture intersecting with Christianity, specifically, like, where I lived. And, you know, probably lots of other places, too, but I've only lived there in Pennsylvania. There's also this, like, hyper-heteronormativity, like, hyper-femininity, hyper-masculinity, current running through everything and some of those things conflict with fundamental christianity
1: yeah it's modesty and Mm -hmm. also being like sexually desirable but those things can kind of get kind of get mixed up all together and i think this is something that everybody is coming to see in the current like political climate in the united states where evangelical christianity and politics get very mixed up and you kind of don't know sometimes what is local culture and what is christianity and yeah, is this absolutely. the same thing so i've i've really um been looking into that a lot i don't have a great conclusion for you yet unfortunately but
0: i mean if you did you've solved the eternal question <laughs>
1: Yeah, solving eternal questions is kind of my jam. I just jump into trying to figure out the world and I get extremely frustrated when it's not on the first page of Google results. It's it's a very difficult life I leave.
0: Yeah, I've only very recently come to embrace that, like, you know, not through anybody's fault necessarily who brought me into that environment, but like, some of these church environments were extremely toxic. And in fact, that's why we left that Baptist church. It was just like drama nonstop. People getting arrested, like dude living in the parsonage, writing his testimony and living there with his family and like propositioning women in the church, like all kinds of crazy stuff. But that was all for like the people who were way up in the business. Like I just would hear whispers about it.
1: So you basically had, like, a piles light at your church.
0: Yeah, like, he wasn't there that long. It was so weird. Did you ever have um, that situation, like, like a traveling, like, minister or somebody, like, writing a testimony, like, being given a parsonage to live for free for a short period of time? It was really strange to me. No,
1: I don't think I experienced that. We had some church members who were longer term church members who lived on church property for a short time but it, it was more like a oh you're a church member and you're in need we'll let you live here for six months until you can get your next place
0: yeah and the reason why it was weird was not that they were living there or that they were allowing them to live there it was that it was not really like a like habitable place to live so it was like they were kind of celebrity family guests at our church for eight months, but they're very mysterious, like, they're not mm. from around here, like, I mean, it really sounds like a movie now that I'm saying it out loud, but, like, that's just one of the crazy things that happened there. And so we, we left there, and then we ended up at a Wesleyan church. <laughs> okay. So, so you've that was been quite everywhere. journey I went on, yeah. yes.
1: <laughs> So, yeah, I was raised in, in the same uh, church group from birth. My dad was a pastor in one state and then an assistant pastor in another state. And then we moved to the St. Louis area where he was a pastor again. But it was always within the, the independent fundamental Baptists. And I, I really was immersed in that from day one until I was 20 years old. So I have a, a pretty deep understanding of the one group instead of what you have, which I guess is a broad understanding of several groups. I have the the knowledge that you would only really get from being completely immersed in that movement for twenty years before i before I ended up leaving.
0: Yeah, I think that's why like you know, even though we grew up so differently and like you know my pop culture experience couldn't have been more different. um, I was like so obsessed with learning and knowing everything and memorizing things and using that as like a way to to cope but also like there were so many parts of your story that i'm like that happened like because i would just be minding my own business and wander face first into fundamentalist thought and i'm I'm like i'm just trying to go to summer camp over here and you won't let me wear a two-piece oh no
1: did you go to jesus
0: camp so I had been to Jesus camp before. In North Carolina, practically every camp is Jesus camp. Even Girl Scout camp, it's also Jesus camp. Oh, fine. So I, I went to Jesus camp and it was fun. And then I went to this Wesleyan camp and it was just a week-long thing. It was the most hellish experience I've ever had. Yeah, maybe ever. Like, as far as like being outside my house, just first of all, Who sells a junior size one-piece swimsuit in 2004? Like, it's not possible to find.
1: Mine all came from Goodwill. Ew. Oh, no. Listen, I am very, very pro, you know, shopping secondhand is good for the environment. It's good for your budget. You can find some great stuff shopping secondhand. But anything that's meant to go on your crotch is not a second-hand purchase.
0: No, no. It's, it's just me. I m- agree.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, I had. So, so my. Oh, do you want to hear about my fundie swimwear? I think this will be a fun. This will be fun. I would. Okay. So I would be happy to send you a picture of this that you can put on your yes. Instagram. And it's 1,000% <laughs> safe for work. Because what I wore to swim as a young person. <laughs> So it would be like a a one-piece swimsuit. And then Uh over that, you've got capri leggings, like workout leggings. Oh, just wait. Also, nobody was wearing leggings then either. Like,
0: where would you even find any in your size?
1: I, mine were athletic, like running tights, like like for runners, because that you could find. At least. Okay. And then we had hemmed them to be capri length. And then over okay. that, I had a like a running athletic T-shirt. And then over that, I had a swim, a skirt. My skirt was actually meant to be a cover-up. It was meant to be a strapless little mini dress. Mm-hmm. But I wore it around my waist, so it was a skirt that covered down to my knees. And that's that was my swimwear.
0: So that's three layers?
1: Yeah, three layers, four items. Oh, my God. So, you know, a few years after that, I got a summer job as a lifeguard and I was a little bit worried about being able to pass the lifeguard test. But after a mm-hmm. lifetime of swimming in layers and layers of clothing,
0: mm-hmm. the lifeguard
1: test was super easy. So I guess it benefited me in one in one way.
0: Yeah, I'll say. I mean, I'm sure you would have rather just like enjoyed swimming. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> Yeah. I, I tend to I tend to look for the <laughs> look for the positives <laughs> even when they are strange and weird. But yeah, I, I did, uh, I went to Jesus, like Jesus camp every summer of my life. Our camp was out in Lincoln, out past Lincoln, Nebraska, mm-hmm. and it was hot as blazes. We had chapel twice a day and we had to swim separately. So girls swam at one time and boys swam at a different time. That was at this camp. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I came from like a cool camp
0: where like, you know, boys were like picking girls up and throwing them in the pool and stuff and like being obnoxious and like things that I would hate now. But, you know, at the time, like made it seem more fun. I wore bikini and it was never a thing. And then I just went to this one week camp and I had to buy a fucking surf shirt and I felt like an idiot.
1: Oh my goodness. I so we had to we had to cover up to that level for separate swimming. The boys weren't even in the pool and I had to cover up to that level to be around other AFAB people in this pool. That was the
0: same at this camp. I thought that was so bizarre. I was like, are you just admitting that like you know that there are lesbians here like
1: <laughs> Is that what's going to happen?
0: Yeah. And I think that's something so funny about some parts of Christianity and some parts of Southern culture. It's like, above all else and in sacrifice of everything else, you cannot be gay.
1: Right. And it will it's all built around that, like, let that happen idea that that this is something that you choose or this is an action that you do, which is how I I thought I was totally straight until I was like 19 or 20 because in my very brainwashed mind well i've never chosen to be anything other than straight therefore i must be straight and i know I, I know that i like boys therefore i must be straight and the real weird feelings that i have about all my girlfriends are just that's just what it is to be a girl i just i guess i just really want her makeup skills <laughs> or something
0: i was like No, everyone thinks that girls are beautiful and soft and like have lovely faces and like just smell good and I want to be around them forever. That's like how all girls feel about each other.
1: (laughs) But it's all built around that idea that that you have to choose to be gay. And in my mind, I was like, oh, well, I never chose that. So must be totally straight.
0: Yep. I spent like five minutes at UNC Gay and I was like, oh, I'm definitely bisexual. And then when I like came out out as an adult like after college after i moved to pennsylvania i was like well i'm gay because i don't want to date men and now i'm kind of coming back around to like bisexual as my label because i am like attracted to all genders and i am attracted to men cis men even like but i just
1: god i i'm married to one and i totally agree (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I really am glad that I have Cynthia, like, and I did, you know, I I had a couple of good boyfriends, but I also dated some, uh, some dicks.
1: I, uh, that, that sounds like a very, a very um, similar experience to mine. Yeah, my, my thing was, uh, so I I came out to my parents for this girl that I was dating, because I thought she was just all that and a bag of chips.
0: Because why would you tell them if you're not dating anybody because then they don't need to know right
1: yeah and I just I wasn't coming out like wasn't a big deal for me I didn't feel like I needed a big announcement and I totally understand that some people do feel like they need that and um I'm always see those Facebook posts and I'm like yes give them the heart sticker on Facebook put the clapping hands emoji in the tech like I am so happy for people who want that experience to have it I didn't feel like I wanted it, but I, I ended up coming out to my parents because I was dating a girl, and I really thought it thought it was going somewhere, and then she dumped me like a week later. Oh, which broke my little heart.
0: That pain of you hauling in your head.
1: Oh no, we you hauled in real life. So oh,
0: in, in that week,
1: <laughs> no, she she was living in, in my apartment. Uh, it was uh. it was rough
0: classic queer story yep
1: so so that happened and then i met my now husband when i was still super heartbroken over that and i was mm-hmm. like eh, i might go out with this guy but he's gonna be terrible and this is like men's last chance i never never gonna date a man again but like i'll go out with this guy because he's all right and then we ended up getting married so but i felt <laughs> i fell in love with a with a person not a gender but i like right. my person i'm a big fan
0: yeah, Cynthia, my partner, is actually my first girlfriend. And then we like broke up for years and then got back together and we've been together and like living in the same city for uh seven years now, I think. Wow. So yeah, it's been a good journey.
1: Well, I'm glad I'm glad it's been a good journey. I've had a <laughs> I've had a, a good journey of my own with some unexpected, you know, twists and turns. Mm-hmm.
0: I wanted to take a step back um, out of the lovely warm bubble of uh, being a baby, gay, um, coming out of such a deprived environment, because, dear God, like, so much, all at one time, so much to take in. But we're going to go back to simpler times. Okay. Are you familiar with a book by the title of Boy Meets Girl, Say Hello to Courtship? by Joshua Harris.
1: Oh, yes, I have not read it, but I'm I'm pretty familiar with the contents just from reading about it.
0: The whole thing is, like, basically, like, the way to have a godly romantic partnership is to initiate a completely asexual relationship with someone, and then after the perfect amount of years get married and then all of a sudden you're in a sexual relationship. My
1: first relationships were all like that. Like my dating and I casually dated one person in high school and then dated a few people when I was at Hiles Anderson and my my relationships were like that. I was I dated um one person for a year and never held hands. Just like sat, you know, 3 feet away from each other, like social distancing before it was cool. And looked in each other's <laughs> eyes and said, I just like you so much. <laughs> <laughs> that had a great effect on video. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> do that
0: multiple times. Oh god. Yeah, I so I read this book. My parents bought it for me. And I think they were teetering between, you know, we're we're going to all these new churches, we're learning things. Also at that time, we're watching focus on the family and Dr. James Dobson and Pat Robertson and uh 700 Club and all that garbage. And it's just like propaganda and it runs all day long. Like mm-hmm. like my parents would be like we're going to watch church from home today and I'd be in there for like 5 hours like watching commercials for their products like and their books that they are selling and like I was like this doesn't feel the same. <laughs> But so they were getting a lot of different information all at one time from a lot of different places. And then also probably picking up vibes that uh, I had crushes on all my little girlfriends and just desperately trying to steer me towards men. So this book probably felt like the answer to a prayer because it's like all about heterosexual courtship, but like with no touching, basically.
1: Mm -hmm. Does it have to do with like the male partner has to ask the female partners a father for her hand in marriage like is it okay if i court your daughter like is it all that kind of like uh ownership patriarchy junk you know it Mm.
0: you know it all the good meaty bits even the uh saving the first kiss for marriage thing which hear me out reading this as a teenager i I was like telling my cynthia about this book and she was like Because she said, how did these churches, like, convince teenagers to just, like, ignore all their sexual urges? And I was like, it's different than what you're thinking. It's not, like, ignoring it. It's, like, rechanneling it into this, like, emotional frenzy. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of a guy who didn't just want to have sex with me and I was not ready to have sex. So I was, like, deeply afraid I would like a boy and that he would want to have sex with me. And then I didn't. I'd have to tell him, no, and he wouldn't like me anymore. And so I was like, this, that's the kind of guy I want. Like, somebody who will, like, like me for who I am on the inside. And it felt, like, very feminist of me at the time. And it's, like, not at all. It's not. I was just, like, very afraid of intimacy. And this felt like a safe way to, like, be really, really obsessively in love and also have very, like, hard boundaries between Mm -hmm. you and the person that you're with.
1: Well, you've also you've also kind of been programmed in a couple key ways. You know, mm-hmm. you've been programmed to be afraid of intimacy because people have told you, "Oh, uh, once you have sex, magical whatever happens to you, and now you're a chewed up piece of gum, or you're a licked candy bar, or you're a crushed rose petal, or you're a bruised apple, or you're whatever inanimate object they're comparing you to this week." Mm-hmm. So you've you've almost been programmed to have more of that fear than you maybe would have had naturally
0: absolutely and I I think some of it was you know that and also there was just like a huge stigma against you know maybe it's like a small town gossip thing um a huge stigma against uh pregnancies outside of marriage Mm -hmm. it it feels so normal now even just like a couple of decades later but It was, like, the thing that would keep you in our small town and that the only way you'd ever get out of here if you got pregnant was to, like, marry somebody who was in the military. Mm -hmm. Because there's not a lot of opportunities in our town and the jobs that are flexible, like, you have your options and that's it. There's no public transportation, Mm. very dependent on your family and being close to everything.
1: Right, and I'm sure that the public school system adequately prepared you to avoid pregnancy if that was what you wanted to do, right?
0: Uh, they taught me how to put on a condom, and they showed me a package of birth control with no pills in it. That's it. Oh, Okay. Uh, and then abstinence only, abstinence only, abstinence only, but you could get condoms at the gas station across the street if you really wanted them.
1: Yeah, uh, my my sex <laughs> ed in school was they don't tell you anything about it at all. So <laughs> you could literally graduate high school and have no idea if hypothetically somebody was a very much a rule following kid who grew up with censored encyclopedias and censored science books and was too much of a good kid to Google, hypothetically totally not based on a true story.
0: <laughs> yeah, it it's weird how much of that snuck into school. Like, I definitely had teachers who, you know, it wasn't on the standardized tests or anything, but like, down low, they're talking about intelligent design in class, even though it's not in the textbook. Oh, fun. Yeah, because it's a way for them to... I think for some teachers, it was a way for them to like ease the minds of probably some of these kids' parents. Because it was like all this panic every time a kid had to like take biology for the first time. Because then they were going to be told we were from monkeys and that we evolved from, from that or we evolved from like fish or something, you know, and this panic over it. And then they could just get that out of the way at the beginning of class and then get into the actual mechanics of, like, what biology is.
1: Mm -hmm. I just reviewed my biology textbook on my show, and it is is a trip. It is a trip and a half. They don't show any reproductive organs at all in the diagrams. So in the Mm -hmm. diagram, it shows a bladder, but the bladder just leads to nowhere which Good god which which led to a really great line of jokes <laughs> on our podcast but is is not ideal for educational purposes
0: yeah they couldn't get away with that cuz i went to public school and i did know people who went to christian school but like you know it was two totally different worlds things were just like a little bit weirder than they were <laughs> at my school even though my school was pretty weird
1: yeah i went to i went to school at a church-sponsored Christian school, so it was extremely strict. It upheld all of the church's standards. Like you couldn't go to the movies; you had to attend church x number of times a week. Uh, I even had to wear I had to wear hosiery to school as a high school student. That's how strict my school was.
0: Yeah, I never had to do that.
1: <laughs> that sucked. That really sucked. I had to wear a mandated hose. Had to wear hose. 6 or 7 days a week from the time I was 12 until I was 20. And that is uh, that is like the most traumatic thing I've ever been through.
0: No, like
1: not really, but it sucked.
0: I know that you're like joking that it's traumatic, but he- I think it is because, you know, one of the things you talked about on your podcast is that so many of these ideologies of what like purity and modesty is is frozen in time of when the person who wrote it, wrote it. Mm-hmm. So like you said, in your church, a lot of the standards of femininity are from like the eighties and it just doesn't make any sense. And you know, it's almost, you know, if if you're the kid who likes to shop at the thrift store and wear vintage, that's fine. If you're not, and you just want to wear jeans, like it's embarrassing to have to wear like pantyhose. It feels like it's for like mm-hmm. adult women. It's not for teenagers.
1: Yeah, I at that
0: time and anyway, like in the early
1: two thousands, I was like fourteen, shopping at Christopher and Banks and Dress Barn.
0: Oh no! Yeah, it was
1: it was rough. Uh, fortunately, a lot of pictures for me from that time period have been lost to the annals of history. <laughs> I do have a few, and yeah, you are more than welcome to post them on the internet and make fun of me because I've already posted them and made fun of myself. <laughs> so I'm totally okay with this.
0: Yeah. My church outfits like they went between like super funky and like really awkward because I had to wear something nice and I like couldn't get it together that day. For some reason my mom never wanted me to wear pants even if they were dress pants but like that wasn't a thing like that we cared about earlier you know. I wore pants every day. It wasn't like a thing so I don't It's just, like, one day she wanted me to start wearing skirts to church and, like, looking a certain way. Again, it's, like, another moment where, like, fundamentalism just, like, reared its head out of nowhere. I'm like, that's not a thing that we ever cared about. But, again, like, you're taking in information from so many different places. It's just surprising sometimes, like, the things that people latch on to and the things that they don't.
1: Yeah, I feel like sometimes people will latch on to, like, the strictest rule from each place as well, mm-hmm. because there there's a certain set of people who really feel like they need to follow these rules to get closer to God, so whatever seems strict, or they get it in their head that whatever is strictest or hardest is more pleasing to God, or is going to get them further, so they will almost kind of collect rules from multiple different sects. I um, bought my first pair of jeans at, like, 21 or 22, so, well, I did miss out on a lot of years of, uh, Wait, like, hold on. You
0: said that really casually. I just want to, like, back
1: up for a second.
0: You were, like, 22 when you bought your first pair of jeans.
1: Yeah, I think I was 22 because I think it was the same week that I went to see my first movie in the theaters, and that was definitely, that was the week I turned 22.
0: What kind of jeans were they?
1: Uh, it was, like, Plato's Closet, and they fit me so badly, because I had never worn pants before, like in my life. You never worn pants at all. Like no. just those leggings to like go swim in. Right. Um, yeah, those my swim leggings were my only pants and I had to wear a skirt over them. My mom actually bought little footy onesies for me when I was born, but when I was two weeks old, she started dressing me in gowns and dresses instead because she felt convicted that her baby girl was wearing pants. And she felt like that was against the rules in the winter in chicago and i just have yeah. to i just have to feel bad for her because that's such a, like that's a terrible thing to worry about
0: yeah it's it's weird sometimes you reflect back on different periods in your life when you thought of things in a totally different way and you're like where did that fucking come from like how, why did i think that i didn't believe that like as a deep conviction in my heart necessarily but like you know there were enough other ideas that i did have a conviction about that were adjacent Mm-hmm. that I felt like I needed to appease certain things, even if it didn't really matter to me necessarily. Like I'll dress modestly when I go to church, but I'm going to wear off the shoulder t-shirts as much as I can when I go to high school. Like,
1: See, I never, I never had any of that because I was raised like completely in a family that bought into the whole thing. So I just did mm-hmm. not own clothing that wouldn't be considered modest. So I bought my, <laughs> bought my first pair of jeans at some point being like 21, 22. And I had, it took me like, you know, like the five years in high school when you're trying to figure out how jeans fit your body and what looks good on you. I had to do that in my 20s. It was not pretty.
0: (laughs) You know, I did that in my 20s with shorts. Mm. I had not worn shorts since I was a little, little kid unless I absolutely had to like, unless it's You know, North Carolina, like, sometimes it can be over 100 degrees. Like, sometimes you have to wear shorts. But it was, it was, like, a whole production. Like, my leg could not have, like, a single dot on it or a hair or, like, Uh anything because, like, hyper-femininity. Like, people will make fun
1: of you. Because patriarchal beauty standards.
0: I know. And so when I came out and, especially once I, like, had started dating... Not just women who liked women, but women who identified as lesbian or bi or queer and, like, you know, weren't also figuring things out. You know what I mean?
1: People who had already kind of figured it out, to an extent. Yeah, there's,
0: like, there's the people you're figuring things out together and you're Mm -hmm. still testing boundaries and, like, you're like, okay, I still need to, like, shave everything. And then you finally date somebody who's, like hairy and like you're fine with it and they're like why would anybody not be fine with it and you're like huh oh okay oh sure sure and so i finally like stopped shaving my legs and i've tried to do it a couple of times since then it's like not good for my skin but yeah i like never wore shorts and now all of a sudden i was like liberated to wear shorts because i wasn't shaving anything
1: well that is that is just fantastic and i'm so happy for you and i hope that breeze feels great it does see i had like the opposite journey because i was like oh i don't have to shave because that's not my responsibility because fuck your beauty standards i'm not gonna shave my legs anymore and then i realized that i actually just really like how it feels so now I do- <laughs> so now i'm right back to doing it but it's for me
0: <laughs> i love how it feels for like an hour after i do it Mm-hmm. And then my skin feels like it's on fire, and it doesn't feel good again until it's over, like they all grown out. And uh, I have uh, PCOS, so I have like extra hair growth. It's like a hormonal thing, and that's how I've had to like explain it to my parents, and they're still not like okay with it. Oh, really? Deep down, I don't think. But that's how I've kind of had to explain it to them, is like, look, like, I have to do this, or my skin feels terrible all the time, and I'm sorry that it makes you uncomfortable. You're just going to have to be uncomfortable with it. Oh. But also, like, gender stuff. Yeah. But I'll just keep that part to myself.
1: You know what? I, I don't I don't blame you at all. I think that is that's totally an okay coping mechanism. So... Uh, I was talking about um, the first time I bought jeans, and I mentioned that it was around the time I saw my first movie. And you'll probably laugh if you ask me what my first movie was. What was it? The first movie I ever saw in theaters was Get Hard with Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> That's so funny. Like Something that like, I think parents who are like sheltering their kids don't think about is... You have no concept of, like, what is a mild movie and what is, like, a hypersexual movie. And so you're just wandering in blind. And the first thing you wander into is, like, probably one of the raunchiest movies that came out that year. I haven't seen it, but I'm just guessing.
1: It's, like, it's a very typical, like, buddy comedy. Like, if you've seen a mm-hmm. Will Ferrell movie, it's really in line with anything else that he's ever done. But there is there is a scene with a just a very... Large penis, and it's just like (laughs) not large in like the proportionate sense, but large as in I've never seen a twenty foot screen before, cat, and it's just (laughs) there. And I have never heard movie theater audio before.
0: Oh, and you're in a room with other people, and you're like watching someone be naked in a room with other people, and it's a and
1: it's a com it's like it's a comedic scene. It's not like a serious, Mm -hmm. sexy scene or anything. But I had never seen one of those in real life at that point. And it was mm-hmm. just, it was a lot. It was just, it was just a lot. And then I didn't go back to the theater for a little bit after that.
0: I can't imagine that being the first ever movie. And going to see a movie for the first time as an adult. And it's, it's sad because there's no reason you shouldn't have been able to do those things. It's, and I don't think it's that so much even that, personally you're like oh movies are evil but like where's the time where's the time to like even explore those things and be rebellious like you know you've said on your podcast like you were so busy and I relate to that like I was probably at church like three or four times a week
1: Mm -hmm. yeah they if they keep you really busy then it's just like less time to sin um and that that can lead to I think that leads to like like yeah you didn't explore the things that the church didn't want you to explore. Like like sexuality or like certain types of movies or certain types of music or whatever it was that they were trying to keep you away from. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is that you also don't explore things that make you who you are. You don't get into hobbies. You don't join clubs at school. You don't... Mm. There are lots of other things that you don't do that could be really beneficial to you later mm. in life. I really wish I had gotten into movies. I just... I don't do well in movie theaters just it's so loud and Mm -hmm. I'm fine at concerts I love going to concerts just for some reason movies movie theaters just freak me out it's too big it's too loud I think I just wasn't ever socialized to it and I never got used to it
0: yeah that's so crazy the something like that simple and everyday that you would take for granted is like it like makes it harder to enjoy stuff like that and I feel the same way about um, traveling. You know, you're very discouraged from, like, exploring places that are very different from where you're at. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going on a mission trip and you're bringing your Christianity to the people in the other country. Then it's okay.
1: I am, you know, of of all the crappy things that I did when I was a cult member, I'm really glad I didn't do that one because I would have felt really bad.
0: yeah. I can't believe it was optional. It seems like... I felt like every teenager I knew did one of those.
1: We wouldn't have had the money. So my church yeah. was my church was too small to have a church-sponsored mission trip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we would have had to join in with other churches. And we wouldn't... Everybody in my church was way too poor. Like, we wouldn't have been able to raise the money to actually go.
0: I see. They would do, like, little one-week group trips to and go to, like, Honduras or something. I'm like, if you want to go on vacation in Honduras, that's fine. Don't waste everybody's time by getting a bunch of teenagers who've never used a hammer before to pretend to nail things together. Oof. Like, it's <laughs> pointless. Have you ever listened to the Bad Missionary podcast?
1: No, I haven't, but I will add it to my list.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it it is what it's called. They're, they talk about, like, the inherent like white privilege in those communities that are settled in other countries and you know how they're like very conflicted because that's like where they spent most of their childhood and then they're like oh shit like i made people's lives like not as good by just my very presence there
1: i think it's always hard to acknowledge like who we may have hurt or what we may have done wrong Mm -hmm. I, I, I know that, you know, everything that I did when I was in the cult was because I was told to all the people that all the poor hungover people that I woke up on Saturday mornings by knocking on their door and asking if I could talk to them about Jesus. I don't blame my past self because I was a child and I didn't know better. Mm -hmm. But there is a there's a lingering sense of guilt. And there there really can be like a sense of. That, that kind of sticks around of, oh, I really shouldn't have done that,
0: I think I had too much social anxiety to actually let a church convince me to do that,
1: oh yeah we we were forced to. we didn't have a choice it was it was not fun,
0: yeah, I had to go door to door to like do other stuff like Girl Scouts and all that, but there were so many people in our town that already identified as Christian, like it was kind of pointless to just be like doing laps it's like the LuLaRoe saturation of an area you know like there's too many there's too many distributors and not enough buyers um too many
1: Jesus distributors
0: yeah we're all just like evangelizing to each other back and forth back and forth it's a weird thing but yeah I never I never felt comfortable I think now too like I can look back and recognize that my teenage self was like, man, it's like really messed up to just like push your beliefs on somebody. But also I was like terrified to confront people about something that serious. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not trying to like make a stranger angry with me. Like, I don't want to talk to adults or other kids about this. I just want to like keep my head down and mind my business.
1: I think that's almost a way of honoring your past self, though. Because mm. if you think back, you as a teenager or a young person were not comfortable confronting people about Jesus. Well, that is that is your past self having really good instincts and knowing that if you did that, it wouldn't do anybody any good. And knowing yeah. that if you did that, you'd make people uncomfortable. So I think I think for people who have social anxiety and especially anxiety that got caused by the religious trauma... It can be helpful to look back and just and just think, oh, past me was right. Past me was very smart. And and mm-hmm. you know that, that that past you who had great instincts is still with you and you're doing okay. Yeah. My entire life is just self-therapizing myself.
0: Yes. All day, every day. I've got the therapist. I've got my partner therapizing with me. So I wanted to ask you some specific questions about pop culture that you were able to consume. Oh, fun. Like, either accidentally or purposely, but, like, on the down low. You know, just, like, moments when you were able to, like, bump up against pop culture that wasn't part of your day-to-day as a kid. Okay. So you're still in the cult, and, like, some kid at your school is, like, passing a Goosebumps book around or something. Okay, You're like, what's that?
1: So, I think so. I think maybe the most relevant example of this would be I was shopping in a store, like an old Pentecostal ladies' store, um, for, for outfits for my like fourteen, fifteen year old. Oh gosh, it's two thousand eight. So for my fifteen year old self, that like an eighty year old church lady would wear and look great in, but I did not at fifteen. And uh, the song "I Kissed a Girl" by Katy Perry came on the radio, uh. and I thought. I had never, like, I had heard of, like, boys being gay people, but I didn't know that girls could be gay people. I had no idea because that's not mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> I literally had no clue. So I heard that and I assumed it was like a teenage boy sinking to a teenage girl. And I thought, oh, that's a- Okay. Like, you remember- Justin Bieber was big at the time, and he had, like, a higher-pitched voice. Okay,
0: I gotcha. So I was like, oh,
1: this is, like, Justin Bieber or somebody singing to a teenage girl. This is kind of a cute song about I kissed a girl and I liked it. So it was stuck in my head, and then I found out later that it was a woman singing it about a girl, and I was incredibly shocked and offended and appalled by that and then later in life it really became my jam and now i have arranged a very cool ragtime piano version of that song the end
0: <laughs> oh my god can i tell you like after i came out you know there's like little things you have to do to just like small ways to let the world know like i'm here i'm queer look at me and so i like decided to sing this song at karaoke and i sounded so terrible i sing karaoke all the time But I was, like, the stereotype of bad karaoke. It was, like, way too quiet. Like, couldn't get my voice to do anything. Because I was like, this is my moment. It's going to be my moment. And it was so pathetic. It was funny. Okay,
1: that is precious,
0: though. (laughs) I I did all kinds of shit like that. Like, you know, like, making a big deal about, like, cutting all my hair off. And, like, I wrote a poem about my leg hair one time. Like.
1: See, all of that is just so adorable (laughs) to me. I'm like, oh, past cat. That's so sweet. See, here's my um, proof of queerness. I've got like extremely long, extremely blue hair, although I think I'm going to do green. I I think I'm going to do emerald green in like a couple weeks.
0: Yeah, that was one thing that I was not only allowed to do, but like heavily encouraged because in addition – To everything else, my mom was a hairstylist.
1: Oh, not fair. I'm jealous.
0: So she owned her own salon. So the first time I ever got, like, wild fashion hair color, like, she had gotten it in. And when you're a stylist in a small town, you're, like, looking for people to do, like, weird stuff to because nobody wants that. Right. And so she had to, like, convince me, like, to do bright, like, fire engine red highlights. Oh. And I had that in the 8th grade and I looked so cool. But like it was it was weird cuz my mom's o- always been more conservative like fashion-wise like except for hair.
1: See, I I always just wanted purple hair so badly. Mm-hmm. My whole life all I wanted was purple hair. Mm-hmm. Wasn't allowed to do it. Um, and then I finally, I did like a purple dip dye. It was really subtle and it was just on the ends and I loved it so much. And I have spent the the next like seven years and I've, I've not had my natural hair color since then. I've had um blue the longest. I've had blue the most often, mm-hmm. but I've also had bubblegum pink. I had a real cool sunset color. It was like purple at the top Ooh. and then went to red and then orange and peach and then I've had burgundy, and green is kind of my final frontier, so I want that pretty soon.
0: Yeah, that's cool. God, I had so many different colors, but I could dye my hair whatever color I wanted to as long as my mom did it. I wasn't to, like, go to someone's house and come back with different hair, and I would get in, like, not so much now, because it's not something we, like, bring up, but when I was in college, I would get in trouble for using, uh, like, drugstore shampoo oh. and drugstore hair products. And I was like, why would you buy that stuff? It takes money away from salons. And, like, and so that's the cardinal sin, is using the wrong shampoo and not taking better care of my hair. Oh my like, goodness. I could look like a punk. And so I got in trouble a lot at school sometimes, because I looked like somebody who should be in trouble. Hmm. But I was a total goody-goody. I was like so terrified to ever be in trouble with anybody ever.
1: See, I I get that people think I'm a real tough cookie, and I mean I'm tough, but I'm really very nice. But people think I'm unapproachable because mm-hmm. I got the the bright hair and sometimes mm-hmm. the loud makeup and whatever else. I think my one other. So I want to do another like touching on pop culture moment. Okay. Another thing that I really remember encountering a lot was, like, anything magical. So, Mm -hmm. Pokemon, Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. like, all of, like, anything that remotely mentioned magic was, like, super evil. And Harry Potter was, you know, dragging children into witchcraft. Mm -hmm. So I remember, um, I was, I didn't get to see my cousin's very often because cult reasons but i was with my cousins one time and my cousin asked me if i would read to them from the harry potter book and i had to tell them no and that memory has just like stuck with me that's probably that memory is probably 20 years old but it has just like it's just stuck with me for so long like oh i could have had this great bonding moment with my cousin and I could have read Harry Potter, and so so I read Harry Potter as an adult, and and really loved it, and then found out that the author is a turf. So,
0: yeah, and that the what is who who runs the bank? Oh, the,
1: yeah, the uh,
0: that they're like a euphemism for Jewish people. Yeah, like. the
1: goblins that are in charge of the bank. There's just like so much in there. So now I'm now yeah, I'm very I- disappointed because my era of being able to like it, like the era between getting out of a cult and finding out that. Uh, rolling as a turf was so short like the period in which I could fully (laughs) enjoy that was so short and that is kind of not fair it makes me very sad
0: yeah by the time you were out and able to watch all that stuff it had already been like canceled
1: (laughs) I had like a year between and in that year I did really read and enjoy all the books and then I had to be like then and then uh then all this came to my attention and uh, it's unfortunate
0: yeah, I th- I think like as a generation, we're collectively like mourning the loss of Harry Potter and what we thought it was and learning what it really is. I actually have an interesting experience, so I never would have read them except my mom had a customer who was a teacher and she was like, I, I, w- I went by my full name then, so she's like, Catherine has to read these. Catherine has to read these, they're so good. So she gave them all to me and I like binged them all in a summer, like the first three or four books, obsessed with the, the movies. And then somewhere, I think probably after the movies started coming out, the discourse on Fox News was like, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. It's like teaching kids to be liberals and like magical. And so I had to read this book called Harry Potter and the Bible.
1: Oh my goodness, I want this for my cult propaganda collection and I've never heard of it before, but I want it right now.
0: Let me tell you, it is a magnificent piece of work because I learned more in that book than anywhere else everything I've ever known about the occult it's in the book because what they do is they're going through Harry Potter bit by bit. And they're like, did you know the Sorcerer's Stone is based on this thing from this belief system? And I was like, no, I didn't. Tell me more. And I thought that was so fucking funny, even as a teenager, like I was getting a huge kick out of the fact that I was basically reading about witchcraft.
1: (laughs) It was like the reverse spell.
0: Yeah, it made it more, I mean, quote unquote, sinister, it still wasn't sinister. But like, they were trying to scare me by exposing me to the thing they didn't want me to be exposed to.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I definitely identify with that as well. I had all of these comic books written by Jack Chick, who if you've ever been handed a little, like a little tiny printed comic book with like cartoon characters about Jesus, that's Chick. He wrote full size comic books as well and they're all about blood rituals and demonic yeah. possession and scary things and i i devoured those and i was like oh it's it's because i love jesus and want the demon things to be to be exercised and totally not because i have an interest like you know in the occult <laughs> <laughs> not because i'm wearing the t-shirt of the fantastic A cult rock band that I'm going to see on Saturday. Nothing to do with (laughs) that. What band is that? The band is called Ghost. Look up the song "He Is." It's like okay, it's like Christian. It sounds like Christian worship music, but it's about Satan. (laughs) This band is super. It's super cool. It's very satanic, but it's very tongue in cheek and like jokey about it. Yeah, which hits all the right spots for me. The lead singer dresses up as like a satanic anti pope. Oh, that's it's very it's very fun, but it's it's pretty lighthearted as far as the metal band goes. And so it's just, it's just great for me.
0: Yeah. I also had like an attraction to the Chick Tracks. You know, I never got my hands on a full size book, but my church had a bunch of those little booklets. And like, I just treated it like a library. I'd be like, oh, I haven't seen this one. I haven't seen this one yet. And I would collect them. And those things were so graphic and horrifying. Like, I remember reading one specifically, like, I was very young, like, maybe six or seven. And it was about this, like, outlaw cowboy. Bad Bob. Yeah, he was like a robber and a murderer. And then he was gonna be hung for his crimes And he prayed to Jesus and got saved right before he was executed and he went to heaven. And then there was like this evil priest or preacher that was taking advantage of people. And he got bit on the cheeks by rattlesnakes, if I remember correctly. And that is how he died and got his retribution.
1: I think that one is called Bad Bob, but I'm not sure if that's the same one.
0: That's horrible. Horrifying to just hand to, like, a random stranger.
1: The, yeah, the one that got me as a kid, um, there's a comic about a teenage girl who does a lot of acid, and mm-hmm. she has an acid flashback, which are- Oh, I, I read this one. At her grandmother's house, and she has a vision, she looks in the mirror on an acid flashback, which, rookie mistake, but she <laughs> she looks in the mirror and she has this vision of, like, her face melting off. And that terrified me as a child. It gave me nightmares for years. Wow. And, like, would would you just give that to a stranger walking down the street? It's just, like, it's so rude, you know?
0: Like, at its basis level, like, that's so rude. Why would you hand something so violent to me? I'm just minding my business. Like, you know, so I haven't seen any of those in years until a couple of years ago. Cynthia was leaving Walmart at, like, six in the morning or something after work she got off night shift and like stopping to get something and this guy walked up to her he didn't say anything he handed her a booklet and then he like squinted at her and then he took it back and he gave her a different one and then he walked away he gave her the chick tract that was against homosexuality for men and then he realized that she wasn't a man and <laughs> took it back and gave her the one for women.
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it was <laughs> I'm so glad you're making it okay to laugh about this because that is fucking hilarious but also that's oh terrible.
0: It's so funny. Like that's happened to me before especially in the winter time around here. It's so cold. I'm like you can't see my hair sometimes and I've had somebody stare at me for a long time and be like, I thought you were a boy. And I'm like, okay, good for you. I don't, what are you doing? It's cold outside. Why are you stopping to stare at me? But yeah, I thought that was so funny and I saved it because you you can't throw that away. It's a great story.
1: Yeah, I I like to, I I save all kinds of fun cult propaganda Um, and now my listeners send me stuff. So if somebody gives them a tract on the street like that they send it to me and it's it's really oh
0: that's wonderful it's really
1: fun because i'm keeping it out of the hands of people who might be hurt or offended or worse influenced by it mm-hmm. but also i'm i'm almost building like a um a library of this stuff
0: yeah i had i do that with um so in baltimore there's this free bookstore that's open on saturdays called the book thing and you can just go in and take whatever As long as you're, like, gonna keep it and read it. You can't, like, resell it or anything. And they had it; They would have an LGBT section. Every time I went to Baltimore, I would just, like, clean this thing out. And it's all this, like, offensive, outdated, like... Like, there's... I have a book called Gay Guys Are a Girl's Best Friend. Fine. I have another book I got at, like, a vintage fair called Voyage from Lesbos. So, like, anything to do with, like, alternate sexuality. I love that kind of propaganda. But I have one piece that I thought you'd be interested in, because it's the perfect intersection of our collections. It is a little pamphlet entitled, Sex and the Christian Boy. Oh,
1: fun. Oh, I can just... I haven't
0: read it in years, but I was like, I need to find that and take some pictures and send them to you, because I remember it being pretty wild. I
1: was going to say, if you take pictures and send them to me, I will read this on my podcast and review it (laughs) Uh, i have somebody who is going to be sending me a pray the gay away type manual here pretty soon and you know i love i love going through stuff like that and i feel like i'm a good person to do it because i have a i have an absolute metric crap ton of religious trauma but most of it isn't really around queerness at all Mm -hmm. because like i told you way back in the beginning of this i didn't i didn't have any clue so, I spent twenty years hearing people yell about how evil and terrible all the queer people are, but I didn't know that that applied to me, so I almost like it almost like having an excuse written. you know, I didn't feel the hurt of that as a young person because I didn't know it applied to me. So now I can deconstruct that material, and it's not extremely upsetting to me because it's almost like I got opted out of that trauma.
0: Yeah, I I think that's kind of what happened for me, too, because, you know, I don't know what would have happened if I came out in high school. Like, I'm, you know, part of me is glad that I never had to confront that. Another part of me is like, God, like, I missed out because, you know, so many other people I know have all these experiences of, like, finding themselves as a teenager. And, you know, it's like a whole complicated thing. But, you know... I know that it would have made my life more complicated, for sure, at the time than than I was ready for it to be. And I think I had so little interest in, like, sex and, like, intimacy and relationships like that that it was just easier to ignore everything. But when you go to college, there's not a dress code and you don't have to, like, put your hands next to your skirt and your shorts And then they can just be as short as they want to be. And then it's harder to ignore that you're attracted to women.
1: (laughs) Yeah, unless you went to my college, in in which case we still had a dress code. (sighs) Yeah. See, I just I look at things like that as I like to look for the gifts. I feel like I got so many gifts from the way that I was raised. And that doesn't mean that it was okay. That doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that I'm not traumatized that doesn't mean that it's all just magically feel better now because that's not how the real world works at all but i can appreciate some of the gifts that i got so i I just look at it as like it's not that i'm not mourning what i lost it's not that i'm not mad about what was wrong but i choose to focus on the gifts most of the time that's kind that's where that's where my my most healthy headspace tends to be
0: yeah yeah our our wise mind (laughs) So I want to speaking of, you know, bringing levity to things, um I want to do a little pop culture quiz that I made for you. It's short, relatively low pressure, I think. I don't know, you tell me cuz I was like what's too detailed, but then like also you're not in the bubble anymore, so I don't want to like, you know, oversimplify. I tried to do a little bit of stuff from like childhood ish era because I know you're a few years uh younger than me and like Pop culture moves so fast when you're a kid. I mean, if you're, like, a year out of elementary school, you're too old for the thing that you liked two years ago, you know? So there's a lot of things, like, my partner's, like, a year and a half younger than me, and she spent the first 10 years of her life in Germany. Oh, wow. So there's just, like, random things that she's like, no, I have no idea what that is. Never heard of that. But it was, like, very well known for me.
1: Well, I'm interested to see what what comes up. Let's see how we do.
0: Okay. What sitcom theme song and TikTok audio starts with a single mom who works two jobs who loves her kids and never stops? Is it A, Reba, B, It Takes Two, C, The Torkelsons, or D, Gilmore Girls?
1: I'm gonna guess Gilmore Girls. I have no idea. That is a good
0: guess, but no, it is Reba, and the song is sung by Reba McIntyre, who is the star. Oh,
1: she had a sitcom.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those really bad, like... Multicam sitcoms with the laugh track and like the husband figure she's got like an ex-husband who's always like wandering into her house like being a buffoon dumb son-in-law
1: sounds very classic but the audio has
0: been used for tiktok a lot recently so it's like on my mind
1: i i I do tiktok i'm just terrible at keeping up with the trends on there yeah i feel like on tiktok i'm like 48 i'm just i'm so bad (laughs) With the keeping up with things on there,
0: I am too. Like there's some social media that I just never got. I like TikTok. I can make some videos, but like it moves so fast and everybody's so good
1: at it. It's too quick. <laughs> like like a trend comes up and then I'm like, oh, I should make a video around that trend. Well, I guess I'll just wait till tomorrow because that's when I'm going to wash my hair and do my makeup, and then it's gone. And I just I I'm always calling my I have a Gen Z brother. My youngest sibling mm-hmm. is four and a half years younger than me. So I'm always calling him like, uh, can you help me with TikTok? How do you do this? How do you TikTok? <laughs> I, I am an old woman when I get on TikTok.
0: Yeah, I, I I keep wanting to do it, but like, I don't think I'm ever going to do it. I think I'm just going to watch all of the young people entertain me. I can't believe it's free. I can't believe that we're like allowed to watch TikTok for free, and we don't have to pay for it. Don't speak it.
1: that into the universe too loud. <laughs> That's true. Redacted. Yeah, I no, I... um. I exclusively do deconstruction TikTok. Mm -hmm. Like, I have a burner TikTok account for, like, watching videos of people cleaning their sinks and sewing things (laughs) and, like, stuff like that, making Mm -hmm. weird mashups of pop songs that's going to actually relax me. But my main TikTok is, like, 100% deconstruction content. That's all I do. So I just kind of keep it in that niche because I know what I'm doing there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So... Question two: Who is Tommy Pickles? Uh, he's in the Rugrats.
1: Yeah, he is. Good job. I think he's the baby that has the really weird spiky hair that looks like the lead singer from Slipknot. Um, maybe yes.
0: <laughs> uh, I it, yeah, he has like little black spikes on his yes, head. like spiky hair. Yeah, I
1: was never allowed to watch the Rugrats because that would give us a bad attitude. But I do know vaguely who they are.
0: It's funny. I wasn't allowed to watch Ren and Stimpy, but I could watch everything else on Nickelodeon but now as an adult looking back I'm like maybe I shouldn't have been allowed to Rocco's modern life was disgusting.
1: <laughs> yeah, my husband has tried to introduce me to both of those shows you just mentioned and I did not get into either one. It's a
0: sensory overload. Red and
1: Stimpy freaked me out.
0: <laughs> it's so gross. It's if you can get over the like ew, like why is that happening? Like but, I mean, it's perfect for kids, but, like, as an adult trying to watch her in Stimpy, I'm like, I can't. I can't. I wanted to be able to enjoy it as an adult because that was the fantasy as a kid. Like, when I grew up, I'm going to watch all the things I'm not allowed to watch now. Yeah. Question three. The Princess Diaries stars A, Juliette Lewis, B, Gabrielle Union, C, Anne Hathaway, or D, Lindsay Lohan.
1: It is C, Anne Hathaway, and I am desperately trying to remember how or why i was allowed to watch that (laughs) i know i've seen it i don't know when i've seen it
0: i mean it's very it's giving like very arranged marriage very like like romance through like your family and your community like that's true tradition heterosexuality patriarchy but also i'm gonna be the queen of genovia god damn it i don't need a man
1: yeah my my p t s d brain is like is like running circles inside my head going, When did you watch that? How did you watch that? Who did you watch that with? <laughs> Shut up, brain. We have more questions to get to
0: well if if it comes up with the answer, feel free to pipe it. i will <laughs> what is the basic plot of jumanji
1: um okay, so I have no idea, so I'm gonna make it up okay uh Jumanji is a movie about a i'm gonna make it up completely based on like the vaguest things I've heard about this. Jumanji is a movie about a magical board game, kind of like a Ouija board, but when you play it, it transports you to the jungle and you have to fight off some kind of monsters that may or may not be characters from the board game. There is also some kind of factor of like, you don't say jumanji or you don't say a certain word because that does something magical to you and that very attractive actress from doctor who whose name i can't remember is in the movie (laughs) that is what i know about jumanji
0: that is excellent that's exactly what jumanji is about i'm sure that there's some like b plot like you know like 90s kids movies always have a plot line where the dad works too much yeah it's like oh he's always at the office doing the job for the client yeah, but that part's not important. The important part is the board game. Is that actually correct? Yeah, all of that is true. That's exactly how it works. Like, if you play the game and you, I think if you win and you say Jumanji or something, then like something happens. I don't, I don't remember all of that because um, that movie scared the shit out of me. I was like, I can't think of anything worse than like. <laughs> a random large animal appearing in your living room and like trying to maul you like you're just trying to like stay inside and play a board game i was always afraid of dinosaurs like sharks like i never got into that kind of kid stuff
1: i've literally never seen the movie or read a plot summary or anything that is (laughs) completely just the the pieces that i've picked up from pop culture yeah, it's it's interesting,
0: like, how much stuff you absorb when you really don't know much about it at all.
1: It really, well, you hear, like, you hear, like, a piece in a stand-up routine, like, something, something, mm-hmm. don't say Jumanji, and, and, like, you don't know why you're not supposed to say it, but you, you you store that away, and then the next time you hear about the movie, it's like, oh, it's something board game related, and then you just, like, you put, you put pieces together, and sometimes you get them right, and sometimes you get them horribly wrong.
0: Yeah, I liked, uh one of the homework assignments that you did on your show so sadie does a segment or certain episodes where her co-host gabrielle will assign her a piece of pop culture that she has to watch and review and you said that you finally like understand a whole class of memes now that you've seen shrek
1: yes (laughs) because like i had i had the basic idea but i didn't know what the plot was and i didn't know what any of the quotes were And uh, I was watching Shrek for that homework assignment, and my husband was working in the other room, and he walked through the room and started quoting the movie along, like, Mm -hmm. real time as it played on the screen. And then I realized, oh, this movie really was a big deal to, like, people of that age. Okay. Yeah. That, like, helps me comprehend what, what a big deal it was.
0: Yeah, it was one of those movies the teacher would put on if they were, like, checking out for the day in class. They're like, oh, this is an hour and a half long, this will work.
1: Right, that's what you got instead of Sheffy.
0: Yeah. The next question is, what must John Tucker do?
1: All I can think of is what must I do to be saved? And I know that's not the right <laughs> answer. That's not
0: it. <laughs> so there was a teen movie that came out called John Tucker Must Die. Oh, okay is this boy he just dates a bunch of different girls and they all get together and like he has to be dead.
1: Oh, that sounds fun. Uh,
0: I'm he hurt me. Yeah, it's a good time. I think Ashanti's in it and the guy that plays John Tucker is pretty cute. Okay, next question is what yucky substance was the TV network Nickelodeon known for dumping on guests and game winners?
1: Uh, green slime.
0: Correct. As you can tell um I spent most of my childhood watching Nickelodeon. <laughs>
1: I didn't, but like if if somebody else had the channel, we weren't like forbidden from watching it, so mm-hmm. i get I get just little pieces here and there, yeah,
0: actually, uh, I went to a party, it was like my sophomore year of uh high school, I think, and it was like a pretty chill thing, like someone's mom was there, it wasn't like a party party. But a bunch of kids went outside and they were smoking weed and then her mom caught them and everybody had to call their parents and go home. Oof. And me and three other kids were the losers sitting inside watching the Disney Channel. And my dad made fun of me when I got home. Oh he was he thought that was so funny. He was like he was like, So you were with the other dweebs watching Disney Channel. <laughs> we're watching Phil of the Future and everyone else is outside smoking. Or watching other people smoke. They didn't even ask us because we weren't going to go.
1: Wow. Wow. Rude of them. I know. They could have at least let you, like, stand around and pretend to be cool.
0: Next question. Who is a genie in a bottle?
1: Um, like from the show I Dream of Genie? No. Oh, wait. Hold on. Yeah, I have it in my head. Is it Christina Aguilera? It
0: is. She's a Pittsburgh girl, actually. That's where I'm at, so. Okay. Or she's – Pittsburgh likes to claim people who are, like, from the suburbs, but – So
1: my first thought was, like, the 60s TV show, I Dream of Jeannie. But then I remembered, like, oh, no, that's ringing – that's a song. And then I made an educated guess.
0: (laughs) You're doing better than I would think you would based on how you sell yourself on (sighs) your podcast. You're like, I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing.
1: (laughs) I can – I do play up the naivety a little bit when it's funny, but I can – I can guess a lot of the time. I've had two just very good guesses so far.
0: Our final question is about current pop culture, and it is near and dear to my heart. As you may have seen, I have an episode about The Real Housewives. It's something that I never would thought would be consistent with my personality, but I'm obsessed with them. I love that universe. I can't stop watching it. So, which of the following has occurred on an episode of a real housewife show? So, there's possibility that some of these things happened or didn't happen.
1: So, each thing is happened or didn't happen.
0: It's a multiple choice. Okay. Like you have to you have to pick the thing. A, a cast member exposed her breast to a table of people while another cast member was on video chat with her husband. B, a SWAT team and Homeland Security swarmed a sprinter van the cast members were on. C, a rift formed between two cast members when one accused the other of mimicking her plastic surgery and trying to be her, or D, A and B.
1: Oh my goodness! <laughs> See, that that totally threw a monkey wrench in my plans because I was gonna say I was gonna say B and C. Wait, I was gonna say um. Okay, the the boob flashing is real. Uh-huh. The plastic surgery is real. It's not. No. The
0: plastic surgery one is the one I made up what? because it's totally possible that they are copying each other's plastic surgery, but I haven't seen one housewife accuse another of that explicitly.
1: So the boom flashing and the Homeland Security are the real ones?
0: Yes. Uh, for context, uh, so the cast member, the, per- the, the husband that was on the video chat was a plastic surgeon and they were all sitting around a table drinking together, and she was like, "Terry, what do you think?" I was thinking about getting an adjustment. She just pulls her titties out, and it—you know—it was just like a shocking thing she did while she was drunk. But it's not as salacious as I made it sound. And the SWAT team, uh, you know, you just gotta Google Jen Shaw.
1: I have like I've heard so much about that. I don't know if you heard me on Kate Casey's podcast, but I was I was on a reality life with Kate Casey. And she does so much Housewives content, and I've not gotten super deep into it, but I've heard that name come up a million times, and I really feel like I'm, like, this close to getting into Housewives. Like, yeah, I don't know.
0: It's so addictive. It's so addictive. And then I listen to as many Housewives podcasts as I listen to all other types of podcasts. It's like a sickness, but...
1: I, I really feel like I'm about to start heading that direction.
0: I feel it. I feel it for you. Well, um, I I got to wrap up because it's almost midnight here on the East Coast. But can you tell everybody a little bit about your podcast, what mm-hmm. kind of stuff you cover?
1: So on my podcast, Leaving Eden, we talk about my life growing up fully immersed in the Independent Baptist Church. We also talk about my time at Hiles Anderson College. Hiles Anderson is one of the strictest colleges in America the church that it is attached to first Baptist church of Hammond has so much drama and so much history. We cover all of that. We cover like my religious trauma and deconstruction topics in a very sarcastic and often lighthearted way. We like to have a lot of fun. Uh, we like to talk about serious stuff and we've made, I'm really proud of the space that we've made on the internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I was, When I was newly deconstructing, there were spaces for people who left the faith or left IFB or like very strict Christianity, but stayed real Christian. And there were spaces for people who became all the way atheist, that there weren't, there wasn't a space that opened arms to both believers and non-believers, anybody who's not going to be judgmental. You know, where, where is the space for like believers and non-believers as long as you're not a homophobe? Like, where is that space? And I, I didn't know where it was. So I made that with my podcast and I'm, I'm extremely proud of it and extremely happy with what we've been building.
0: Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed listening to it and especially listening to it with my partner, because there's some things that are just so difficult to explain because you never experienced anything different. So you don't know what to call it.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I'm extremely happy to get to do some of that work.
0: Yeah, well, I can't wait to finish uh, listening to the episodes. I've been like skipping around, but I did make it through First Family of Fundamentalism, which is a great series. It's kind of the background on the church uh, and uh, the college that you went to. And-
1: First Family is is just so much. Listen, if you're if you're like a, a reality TV fan, First Family of Fundamentalism has so much tea for you it is more dramatic than any reality Truly. tv show has ever been so there's that
0: <laughs> yeah it's like jim baker and the other guy who just got in trouble for like having threesomes oh
1: uh jerry fall that was jerry fallwell jr wasn't it
0: yeah it's like that but like way more like a lot more
1: it's just there, there are just layers and levels to it all and it, it is just intense <laughs>
0: Yeah, everybody check out Sadie and her co-host Gabrielle on the Leaving Eden podcast. And next week, I don't know what I'm covering yet. It's going to be a surprise for both of us, so stay tuned.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've had a lovely time talking to you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to please hate this episodes are written and recorded by Kat Conley cover art by Kat Conley theme music by Brandon George and audio editing by Ruth Spence. You can find us online at please or on Instagram at please hate this, or you can follow me Kat at steer queer y'all on Instagram. Look for us on Patreon. If you want to subscribe and support the podcast.